On September 22nd, 2020, a booktuber by the name of Noah from the YouTube channel Everyone Who Reads It Must Converse published an original tag video titled The Book Nostalgia Tag, where he asked all sorts of uh, great questions about sort of like original, formative, young book experiences. And that tag inspired me to think about my own reading I did as a child and the role that children's books play in my life right now. Uh, one of the great joys of parenthood is being able to share the things that you love and the things that, you, uh, that are meaningful to you with children. And so for the past uh, five years or so, children's books have been a really important, significant part of my life. And so I thought I would just share a few of those. So for example, I remember I used to always read to my son Where the Wild Things Are. It's a beautiful book by Maurice Sendak. And I used to read it to him so much that I would uh, know it by heart. So like when I'm reading to him, I remember just like sort of turning the pages one by one. Um, but it's a short little book. And one of the things which I think makes it so timeless is that there's like a deep darkness in the book. The day that Max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind or another and his mother called him wild thing and he said, I'll eat you up. And he was sent to his bed without eating anything. And then that very night in his room, a forest grew and grew and grew. And so basically it starts with like punishment, <laughs> a child who's sort of forced to bed early without dinner by sort of like the tyranny of his parents because he's too wild. And then there's like this, uh, he ends up, you know, drifting off uh, a boat appears and his room becomes like uh, the vast ocean. He sails off to where the wild things are and he becomes king of all the wild things. Um, and then there's this, this great line, which I always uh, loved was um, when, he, when he finally decides it's time to leave this sort of place of where the wild things are, they say, oh no, please don't go. We'll eat you up. We love you so. And they, they, they show their terrible claws and their terrible teeth at him. And yeah, the, the brilliance of the book and the darkness of the book is like this, this complex interweaving of love and violence. You know, please don't go. We'll eat you up. We love you so. And I think it, it captures something very profound about childhood, which is suffused with all our nostalgia, perhaps, that we might have. We may or may not have some nostalgia towards childhood. There's a real darkness in childhood, a real lack of autonomy, a real vulnerability. Recently, my five-year-old has really uh, taken to reading, and we have the complete set of all of uh, Roald Dahl's books. I think uh, George's Marvelous Medicine is his favorite one. Um, <laughs> Roald Dahl was like a master of also like really dark and scary and disturbed children's books, which obviously um, children love, including my son. And, and like the, the, the climactic, like classic Roald Dahlian episode in, in George's Marvelous Medicine uh, is towards the beginning of the book. And my son like loves this part of the book. He, he'll read this book like cover to cover uh, over and over again is the grandmother needs her medicine. And, and George, who's like this child, he's like being bossed around by this like tyrannical grandmother who he despises. He totally despises and he decides that he's going to make her a medicine, which is going to give her like a real kick. He's going to make her uh, his own version of, of medicine. 
and he goes around and it's like a long chapter after chapter, page after page, sequence after sequence. George goes from one room to the other in his house and everything he finds, he pours it into the pot. You know, all, everything from the bathroom, everything, all the, all the medicines for the animals, all the food cabinet, you know, cleaning products. And it's like, of course, it's like a parent. It's like horrific in a way to read this. You know, you don't want your kid to get any ideas. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's also great fun and it's, it's profoundly, it's wickedly dark. Another uh, children's book, which I have such a nostalgia for, real nostalgia for, and I love sharing with my son, uh, is Where the Sidewalk Ends by Shel Silverstein. Of course, Shel Silverstein is a very prolific poet uh, who wrote multiple great books of, of like wonderful poetry. And also, he's filled with, he plays on, on like both registers. You know, he's full of like wholesome, uh, loving images and themes, um, like this poem, Hug of War, where I, I don't want to play tug of war, I want to play hug of war. And, you know, he, he has humorous jokes and humorous images, but also he, there's a deep darkness also in, in his poetry, which is so fascinating. Um, and so just like a few examples, like a, a classic Shel Silverstein poem is Ickle Me, Pickle Me, Tickle Me Too. And he has all this like great, uh, artwork in his distinctive style. So just like, um, Ickle me, pickle me, tickle me too, went for a ride in a flying shoe. Hooray, what fun, it's time we flew, cried Ickle me, pickle me, tickle me too. Ickle me was the captain, pickle me was the crew, and tickle me served coffee and mulligan stew as higher and higher and higher they flew. Ickle me, pickle me, tickle me too. And I'm skipping now to the last stanza, which is like the darkness which runs through these poems. This is how the poem ends. Ickle me, pickle me, tickle me too, never returned to the world they knew. And nobody knows what's happened to dear Ickle me, pickle me, tickle me too. Right? They fly off in this flying shoe. They go higher. They, they say, uh, you know, hold on, stay in. I hope we do. Cry Ickle me, pickle me, tickle me too. And they never return. <laughs> um, and I just love that. It's, it's so dark. What else do we have here? Like, oh, it's a great poem. Uh, Lester. This poem, Lester. Uh, Lester was given a magic wish by the goblin who lives in the banyan tree. And with his wish, he wished for two more wishes. So now instead of just one wish, he cleverly had three. And it's like a long poem. It fills up an entire page. But the, the point is he keeps wishing for more and more wishes. So he has like this combinatorial explosion of wishes. <laughs> and he goes on and on. Uh, Lester sat amid his wealth, stacked mountain high like stacks of gold, sat and counted and grew old. And then one Thursday night, they found him dead with his wishes piled around him. And they counted the lot and found that not, not a single one was missing. All shiny and new. Here, take a few and think of Lester as you do. In a world of apples and kisses and shoes, he wasted his wishes on wishing. I love that. Another last one, uh, last self Silverstein poem. Um, the way he describes death. The death of Sarah S Cynthia Sylvia Stout, who would not take the garbage out. Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout would not take the garbage out. And there's like a long poem, two pages of all the way the garbage piles up and piles up and all the different things and all the different food and disgusting things that are accumulating in the garbage. And then eventually she says, okay, I'll take the garbage out. And Shel Silverstein tells us it was too late. So, but then of course it was too late. The garbage reached across the state from New York to the Golden Gate. And there in the garbage she did hate, poor Sarah met an awful fate that I cannot right now relate because the hour is much too late. But children remember Sarah Stout always take the garbage out." <laughs> so of course, it's so funny. It's so wickedly dark where uh, the implications that she died, she got crushed by her, by the garbage that she wouldn't take out. 
but the poet says, I can't tell you what happened. It's too late. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, another book that I grew up with, uh, which I have fond memories of, is The Giving Tree, also by Shel Silverstein, which is, again, a, it's this mix of wholesome and dark. Uh, it's like a, such a simple story of a, a boy and a tree. And, and they have like a nurturing relationship. The boy swings from the tree's branches and the tree loves the boy. And as the story progresses, the boy gets older and he keeps wanting things. He keeps coming to the tree. First he takes the tree's apples and then the branches and the leaves and more and more and more. And, and the tree is always trying to give whatever it can until the tree is left with nothing but a stump because the, the boy took everything. You know, he wanted a boat, so he cut down the trunk of the tree or a house he wanted. And he comes back an old man. And the tree says, I have nothing I can give you but a stump. That's all I'm left. And the boy, who's now an old man, sits on the stump. And that's like all he needs. And it's like so dark. It's like this devastating kind of love, like this destructive love. This mix of love and martyrdom and self-sacrifice. And, and it works because it's, it's complex and it's real. It's profound. The last book I want to share with you is this book that I absolutely love by Dr. Seuss, a classic. I'm sure, I'm sure most of you know it. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. And yeah, we have like, I think pretty much all of Dr. Seuss's books in our, in our little apartment. And um, we get a lot of pleasure out of them, but I think this is my favorite one. This is my favorite one. And of course, like the big twist of this book, the big joke of this book is that the title, One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, uh, sounds like a certain genre of children's books made for very, very young readers where they're like, you know, maybe there's like small four by four cardboard books, like thick cardboard pages where, you know, this is like one ball, this is two balls, so three balls. And it's like clip, you know, it's like a stock photos of, you know, balls or whatever, um, rubber duckies. And it's for like kids who are just learning to recognize numbers for the first time, you know, so one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, numbers and colors. That's what it sounds like. But uh, this being a Dr. Seuss book, it's, it's not quite that. So the first page is one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. And then we get the twist, the big Dr. Seuss twist. Uh, black fish, blue fish, old fish, new fish. This one has a little star. This one has a little car. Say what a lot of fish there are. So <laughs> fish come in different colors. They come in different uh, cars also. Um, and, and sort of it's, it's a kind of whimsical, beautiful exploration of the variety of, of the world we live in. The world is so diverse so inexplicably diverse, so confusingly diverse. Um, it goes on to say, some are sad, some are glad, some are very, very bad. Why are they sad and glad and bad? I do not know, go ask your dad. So, you know, Dr. Seuss says, um, there's this variety and, and it's inexplicable. I can't, I can't fully explain it to you. And there's this deep, wonderful, beautiful ambiguity that runs throughout every single page in this book, you know, this is working our way through the book. You know, here are some who like to run. They run for fun in the hot, hot sun. Oh me, oh my, oh me, oh my, what a lot of funny things go by. Again, so this variety in nature. But this deep ambiguity on every page is, are these, to what extent are these things animals? To what extent are these things human? And he plays in this liminal space, in this in-between place, 
between animals and humans. Here's another one. We like our bike. It is made for three. Our Mike sits up and back, you see. We like our Mike, and this is why. He does, Mike does all the work when the hills get high. So, like, what is Mike? Like, you get the sense that in a lot of these, that, like, Mike is, like, you know, um, an employee or something of, like, a, like a well-to-do family. You know, like, if you grew up with, like, means, you know, you, you might have a Mike. And, and the page, they're just sort of suffused with this, like, you know, like, again, like, who is Mike? You know, when I was young, you know, here's another one. At, at our house... We open cans. We have to open many cans. That is why we have Zans. So the Zans is for open, opening cans. So it's like, is, is this like a pet? Is this like, is this like a, a person? To, and, and, and the beauty of, of like childhood is that these lines are blurry, of course, you know? Um, when you have an attachment to an animal uh, correctly, this isn't necessarily a product of childhood. It could be a product of also maturity. You, I, you recognize the humanity in your pet, in your animal. It's a person, you know, like you. There's a, there's a, a consciousness there that's worthy of full respect. Um, but also when you're a child and you're seeing things through your, from your perspective, people who come in and out of your life, you know, they sort of just serve like a very functional purpose. You know, he has the, um, the boxing, the gox, which I, I, I so relate to. You know, I like to box. How I like the box. So every day I box a gox. In yellow socks, I box my gox. I box my gox. I box in yellow gox box socks. So like, if you're a young child and you have like this person come into your life to like box with you, you know, or like coach you or tutor you or something, that person doesn't feel like a full person. Like they're just there to box. It's sort of like a, I see it as sort of like an example of like the dehumanizing effects of, you know, a, a capitalist, these capitalist uh, utilitarian interactions. The, the opposite version of this uh, analysis, you know, um, that comes to mind is a song by the uh, group Swans. They've been around for, for a long time. They have a song that I really like called Low Life Form. And, and just in the title, you get the sense of, of the point of like this insistence on designating higher life forms and lower life forms. Um, because as if there's a, these life forms which we are actively deciding you to be excluded from moral consideration, from a shared universal humanity. So these are some of the, the lyrics that Michael Jira sings. And of course the implication that the, the, the singer, the narrator of these, of these lyrics is the low life form. Uh, and these are some dark lyrics. This is uh, the opposite end of the, the children's book uh, spectrum now. We're, we're, we're out of children's territory. When they crucify your body on the white wall above your bed, the words your body bleeds down will describe my happiness. The joy I'm feeling now as the universe withdraws is equal to the pain my mother choked out from her jaws as she endured without complaint, then laid me out into the sun like some skin from in her throat, like a living piece of scum, like a red sack full of failure, infested with my future crumbs, of pleasure, pain, and fear, and hatred, and hunger for your helpless tongue. And we'll stop there. It gets, it gets worse and darker. So there you go. This was inspired by Noah, and everyone who reads it must converse. Um, go check out his tag video 